All right, welcome into episode 84 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Craig Morgan, Jamie Eisner. I'm Luke Lipinski. We're I'm a, a very spry Luke Lipinski. Uh, you know, I, I, like to, I like to take care of myself. It's these sea salt chips that he's eating from a vending yes. machine. Sea salt pop chips. chips. Yeah. My bad. Much healthier option. Glad you clarified. Well, I didn't eat. Played hockey twice yesterday, and I haven't eaten it all today, so I went out to the vending machine. and a, a, I will Humble get, brag city. How is that a humble well, brag? I, I, played, I just played hockey twice, and I didn't eat. And, uh, you know, Not after I worked abs. out with my trainer, it was a leg work. I didn't yeah. say it was a leg work. Leg day. I didn't say it was a good <laughs> hockey. I just said I was on ice playing hockey. Um, anyway, the whole point of that story was is I bought the pop chips from the vending machine. You guys will appreciate this. A random girl that we don't know and doesn't work with us definitely walked by and gave me a very disapproving and confused look, mm. which is what happened. sure that has anything to do with the vending machine, or is that just what you experience all the time? Moving on. The Washington Capitals. Ah, uh, yes. Um, the Washington Capitals. That's a good distraction. <laughs> this is me deflecting <laughs> to the Capitals. No, actually, I should mention we're going to have Josh Cooper of Puck Daddy on later on in the show, because usually when we have big guests, I don't <laughs> yeah, mention you it at the start. get to mention that. <laughs> Second straight week we've had a Puck Daddy guest Yes, Greg Wyshynski. Maybe we'll have Jen Neal and then just keep moving down the line, right? Look, Anaheim will still Not be in it a week necessarily down the line. Sorry, Sean. I didn't mean to suggest that John Lee would be a, a move down the line. That's the voice of Craig Morgan, in case you okay. haven't differentiated, just so we don't get any heat for what Craig is saying. Um, Washington is out. Shocking. I don't... I don't know what to say about them anymore. I know. You thought they were going to win. You really thought they were going to win, and I kept telling you that was just the Penguins fan in you. And as we were texting last night, deep down, this is exactly what you expected to happen. This is not what I expected to happen. It was what I expected to happen. It's what you expected yeah. to happen, too, I, right? As I said, we all picked Washington in this series two weeks ago in our predictions. Did I? Yes. Mm-hmm. All, we all picked all the same teams except I took Ottawa and you guys took the Rangers. We all picked I, I believe I, I believe I picked against Ottawa. Because Wait. Because that's, of course I, I picked Washington? Yeah. Even at if the start I did, of the series. Even if I did. Once it was, once they were down, three, three to one, I think yes. we all said, and uh, this is over. Now, I, I give them credit for winning the next two games, and we've talked about how we can now crush after the last half a week or so the whole you, if you win game six, you also win game seven narrative because that got blown out of the water in both series. But as I kind of said to you guys last night, and I tweeted out because I starved for attention, and I like when people like my stuff. Well, that's accurate. Uh, that I don't want to fall into the lazy narrative of Washington choked again, but I don't know how you can watch the third period of that game in particular, the whole game total, but the third period of that game and not say, how can you possibly go the almost the entire third period when you're losing in a game seven when you, all the pressure in the world is on you and have no scoring chances? They did not look like a team that thought, you know what, we need to play for our season right now. Six shots on goal total in the third period. It's, don't worry about the lazy narrative because I actually wrote my entire column from that ra- lazy narrative perspective. Because it's true. <laughs> but, it, you know, because it turned out to be true. And, I, and I, you, I almost don't want it to be that because I think people that aren't watching the game very closely will default to that for no other reason. But those who are, it's the same conclusion now. I, feel I don't like know how you can look at it in a different way. There are like intangibles. There are immeasurables that occur in sports, in, in life, <laughs> but, but certainly in sports. There are intangibles. And we don't know how to measure them. We can't quantify them, but... When you, see, when you see something like this, Mike, Mike Sullivan's quote says it perfectly, that they always respond the right way. They are at their best when the stakes are high. Washington, on the flip side, wilts when the stakes are high. They wilt, and they always wilt. It's like, and I think that narrative was maybe more lazy in years past. I think this year it's, it's pretty spot on, actually. But it, They're the best team in the league. 
It's, they were the best team in the league. Clearly. They it's were. that situation when you're first getting out of college and you want to get a job, and you can't get a job because you need experience to get the job. But you can't get the experience because you don't have a job. That's what the Capitals are right now. You can't – I wasn't stunned that Pittsburgh won the series. I was stunned after game six that Pittsburgh won the series because then Washington's won two in a row. They hammered Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh in game six. I know where Craig's about to go with this. This is not – like, Pittsburgh's playing great hockey. I think a lot of it's Mike Sullivan. This lineup is not formidable. The Capitals should have won – if the Capitals are ever going to beat Pittsburgh, this was it. You're at home. You've won two in a row. And I think there's some sort Chris of – Chris Letang is out. Matt Murray's on the bench. Yep. Sidney Crosby is definitely not 100%. You just got beat by Marc-Andre Fleury, Brian Rust, and Patrick Hornquist. The, the, yeah. the Penguins aren't yeah. playing their best defenseman, their best goaltender. The best player in the world is not 100% and missed the game. Carl Hagman wasn't playing because he, yeah. he, I don't know if he still hurt or what his deal was, but and he wasn't yet, playing well. Here we are. And, and Again. I think that... Shut out at home. You're, you're at home and it's one game. Like, Don't you think there's something psychologically... If you're the Capitals, you've been hearing for years and years about how you can't get past the second round and you can't get past Pittsburgh. And when you're down 3-1 or even at the start of a series, it seems daunting because you've got to beat them four times. And so I'm sure it plays in your head. You get to that point last night... All you have to do is beat them one time, and that all goes away. You and you don't some, even score. You need somebody to step up. You, and, where, where, and, again, where's Ovechkin in that game? Where's Baxter in the game? Thank where's you, TJ thank you, adding, thank you for adding other guys. Where's TJ Everybody's Oshie? looking at Ovi, yeah. you know, Mike Bilberry at the top of the list, who was absurd in this series, in his criticism well, yeah. of Alex, Alex Ovechkin. Yeah, why aren't we looking at Nicholas Backstrom? Where was he last where's he, night? Where's Did you notice Nicholas Backstrom? Yeah. No. A guy who people were talking about as an MVP candidate? Did you notice him on the ice last night? No. Where's T.J. Oshu? You know why? Because he's not he, a franchise center. He's, he's one he's step not. below, as we have said many times. He's proving he's not. He was non-existent. Oshu was non-existent. I mean, he's had a, dec- a decent early start to the playoffs, but Justin Williams, who they... They signed for this type of situation. Mm. Where was he last night? Oh, I mean, Mr. Game where, Seven was. Where where is the support? Where's somebody to step up and say, "I'm gonna at least attempt to put this team on my back"? And if we, you know, if I score twice and we lose, we lose. But there's there was no almost no fight from that team. I was telling Craig on the way up here. I mean, if you you watch a sporting event and if you are if you want one team to win, you kind of get a pretty good evaluation of the opponent because. Certain players will touch the puck if it's hockey or whatever, and you're just like, okay, whatever. And certain players will have the puck, and you're like, Ugh, okay, this, I, I don't want to see this guy with the puck. Watching this from somebody that, that was born in Pittsburgh and wanted the Penguins to win the series, the only guy that touched the puck from Washington that I was like, okay, I, I prefer they got the puck off his stick, was Evgeny Kuznetsov. Everybody else, I was just like, all right, I mean, <laughs> do what you're going to do. And oh, by the way, it's going to get worse next season, as I, as I wrote about in, in the column today. They're going to owe significant pay raises to Kuznetsov, Dmitry Orlov, and Burakovsky. So they're probably going to lose Carl Alsner and Shattenkirk in free agency. Maybe people don't care they're going to lose Kevin Shattenkirk anymore with the series that he had. They may lose TJ Oshie because his contract, based on his production in the regular season, he's going to have a high demand for his contract. He's probably going to be a very coveted free agent. So they may lose him as well. Justin Williams could be gone. Grubauer, their backup goalie, could end up in Vegas. And they don't have a great system of prospects to restock this thing, this team is not going to be as good as this year's edition was for the next couple seasons. It's There's no way to argue that, and we knew that coming in. And I didn't look close enough to realize Oshi was an unrestricted free agent until the start of this series. Like We knew all season long this was Washington's best chance. And I think all three of us were on this page, but I was certainly uh, firmly in the corner that last year they lost to Pittsburgh 
keep the team together. It was a close series. Sometimes you lose. You play a tough – Pittsburgh's a good team. They won the Cup last year. So you don't blow up your team after losing to them in such a hard-fought series where Washington now played the Penguins in some of those games. But you have to blow up your team a little bit this year because of the salary cap. And I don't know, you might, you might just want to keep going and see that's, what you can do. And that's the question, because you don't want to be reactionary. You, you saw, well, San Jose would be a good example of yeah. not blowing it up, coming back, and suddenly you made it to the cup final. So you don't want to be reactionary. You look at it, you said this team had a ridiculous regular season. There were a lot of good pieces here. Why would we go to such drastic measures? Well, something's not working. Th- there's, there's an argument to be made there, right? Maybe, maybe finally it will click. I don't know. In this division, it, it seems like it's all, all, that harder, all, all that much harder because the competition's so good in this division. On the flip side, I think there's an argument to be made for considering moving one of your big pieces. Now, you have to obviously you have to consider what's coming in return and what impact it has on you both in the short and long term. But like you said, Jamie, something doesn't feel right here. And does this group of guys even believe it anymore? Do they believe that they can actually get over that hump? It's got, it's got to be hard. I mean, it's got to be hard for them to believe that. But, you know, you, you look at the team, and I don't think it's as easy as to say, and I know some will make the excuse, well, they ran into the Penguins twice. you got to be good teams to win the Cup. I mean, yeah, that to me worked to, better last year, not this year. And yeah, absolutely, they would have made more sense last year. The Washington team this year was better than the Washington team last year, and the Penn's team that they iced was worse. Yeah, and they still couldn't get it done. And on home you, ice, you would think the Washington seven. would have had that much more of a jump and extra motivation after what happened last year. Maybe motivation might not be the, the the right word, but you would have just thought that they would have been so fed up with losing to this team that now you have them. And look, Chicago's out, not taking anything away from the teams in the West, but the path is there. If you beat Pittsburgh and you're Washington... You're going to be the favorite. You probably beat Ottawa, and you take your chances in the Stanley Cup, right? Yeah. And instead, you go out there and... You've gotten to the Cup. Even that in and of itself, if they don't win it, they got to the Cup final. Yeah. It's a tangible step forward. You could at least sell yourself on that. Yeah, two steps forward for Alex Ovechkin, who hasn't been passed... The second round yet. Yeah. Amazingly, in 12 seasons, he hasn't been past the second round. And last year, it just felt like every game was so like tightly contested. And it just, there was one overtime game in this series, and Washington won it. There was just, it's not like that last game. It's not like game seven was 1 1 or 2 2 or 3 3 late, and, and a puck went in off somebody's skate and went in. Pittsburgh scored twice. They were legit goals, and they got better as the game went on. And I love that Mike Sullivan was aggressive in the third period. I, I was just about to bring that up. The way Pittsburgh suffocated the Capitals in that third period, there was no point in that third period where I thought, you know what? Washington's going to tie this. Yeah, I, I, I never felt it. Every time that Once they. Once it got to 2 0, it was over. They barely had the puck. So Pittsburgh suffocated them with a lead. I love that. That's the thing. Pittsburgh learned from Game 5 when they sat, they sat back a little bit, and we see a lot of teams do this, and I hate it when teams do it, but Pittsburgh was up 2-1 going into the third period of Game 5 and kind of got into that mentality of, all right, let's get through these 20 minutes and we move on, and Washington jumped all over them. So last night, they learned from it, and they were aggressive, and meanwhile, Washington just couldn't get out of their own way. I mean, they got worse as the game went on, which yep. – that's the sign of a team that's never been there before, except they have been there before. So do, if you do decide to go the more dramatic route, what does that look like? What, 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 what does that mean, moving? Well, I think you, you had a player right. like Nicholas Baxter? I mean, that's the guy, right? But then, who, who would have incredible yes. value on the market, right? It's, it depends what you get back for them. I mean, at that point, if you move a guy like that, you're now looking at a the future. four to five year plan. You're not looking plan. at the next couple of years. Well, so you're not looking really at... 
doing much with Alex, Alex Ovechkin no. either, who you're probably not going to move, though, with that contract. But Backstrom's contract, you could absolutely move. Four years, 6.7 cap hit, T- teams would line up to get him. But, yeah, what are you getting in return, and what's your plan look like then? I think there's Because a you're giving up a number one center, albeit a, not yeah. a franchise center, but a, definitely a strong number one center, you know, right below that franchise there's, center there's level. There's a, a way to move him and not and not just give up on next year. And, and for what it's worth, him and Kuznetsov were tied for the team leading points against Pittsburgh in that series. But they what does your center position look like after you move Nicholas Backstrom? It's not great. It's, yeah, so how, how are you, I mean, at that point, how are you not saying next season's a wash? It's just Kuznet, well, because I'm assuming I get something back. And, and I'm not assuming I get, like, a piece back, like a draft pick. I mean, if you're trading Backstrom, you should be able to get players that help you next year, prospects, and picks. Because this is a guy that's, he's 29 right now, he'll be 30 in November. Yep. You're right, teams will line up for a center yeah. like that. Because he might not be putting Washington over the top, but there are other teams that he will either take from out of the playoffs into the playoffs, or maybe he will push somebody else over the top. Can you imagine if a team was able to lock him in as their number two center? Mm. They'll give you the world for him. So I'm not saying you should necessarily do that. I don't think you trade Backstrom because you're frustrated and you feel like you have to make a trade. But if teams are going to offer me a lot for him, I would at least pay it. I don't think this is his fault they lost, but... But, but again, the question is, is this team going to do anything in the next couple seasons? Do I, you I, see this team being a cup contender see, still with, the, with what they have to deal with this offseason? A contender? I mean, they'll be a playoff I mean, team. It, and they'll teams, win they games. won't do this, but I, this, this screams New York Rangers to me. This screams like a team that's going to come back each, each postseason in the next two or three years. Spin its wheels. A little worse than they were the year prior and never advance further. And I understand if you're, you know, you're the GM, you're trying not to get fired. So you're, you're, you can't really blow it up unless you think the ownership's going to stick with you through the whole process. They need which David doesn't Polo happen. right now to pull off some crazy deal. But <laughs> I, I think we're going to see this. This team's going to come back each of the next couple, two to three years, a little worse than the team prior, and do no better. I mean, and they're going to keep spinning the wheels as a good team that makes the playoffs consistently, but we don't really truly feel as a true cup contender. They're going to be what the Rangers have been. But it's... It is kind of hard because after all that, even today, they lost last night by two goals. I mean, it was game seven. It wasn't like they got blown. It's not like they got swept or something like that. No. They still won the President's Trophy, which means absolutely nothing to them right now, and I get that. But when you're trying to evaluate the team, if you just keep it the way it is. But they can't. They can't keep it they're the not, way it is. This That's is the a whole point. different they're, story. They're, yeah. We just talked about the, the losses. You're going to have to make moves anyway, so why not You're losing Alsner and Chattenkirk off the blue line. The Oshi one, I think, really hurts. If they lose Oshi too, and he's, they probably are, because he's yeah. going to make a lot of money. Then, how are you? How are you feeling like this team can actually contend for a cup? They I won't be better. I don't agree that they they can be a cup contender. They won't be better next year. I would no. anticipate Pittsburgh being healthier. Maybe they won't be, because Pittsburgh is a human injury team. Toronto should Toronto's be better. Be much better. <laughs> I, I mean, Tampa's going to be bad. Tampa yeah. should, can't possibly be worse. But again, another team that has injury problems out the wazoo. The, um, so if Tampa's healthy, term, by the way, the wazoo. If Tampa's healthier, Pittsburgh's healthier, Toronto stays healthy, they're going to improve. I mean, we start talking. Palouse. I still don't know what the Palouse <laughs> no, it is. is. It's wazoo. I really don't know what the Palouse is. Do you hey, know what the Palouse is? Jamie's trying to make a point. And I'm sorry. It's not about the Palouse. That I, it's hard to see them being one. There are a lot of other teams that will be better next year in that same conference, and Washington won't be. So I have no logical thought in my mind of how they get further than they have been. And in theory, the top two picks in the draft, it's not going to necessarily impact things next year, but the top two players in the draft are also joining the Metro Division as well. So it's not like that division's getting easier two, three years down the line. True. And, and again, 
That is what happened, isn't it? The yes. Metro Division got the top two draft picks Because somehow. it needed it. Of yeah. course. And uh, again, we don't know how injuries are going to play out or whatnot. But if you look at the who's under contract now, and I gave you one year from now, let's talk about a seven-game series between Toronto and Washington. How confident are you in Washington to win that series? Not. Okay. Well, is it the first round or the second round? It doesn't matter. Uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty high on Toronto. So. Okay. If Tampa Bay State, if Stamkos is healthy the whole season, Tampa Bay versus Washington, how confident are you that Washington wins that? I'm, oh, I think Tampa Bay could go to the cup if they were healthy. So th- they're just never healthy. How about Washington Pittsburgh again? <laughs> I'm not. So, going down that so path we're talking again. about the okay. team that might be the if they get best. to the Cup final and they play the Dallas Stars, who have four goalies in goal at the time, <laughs> at the same how time, how do you feel about that possibility? We're looking at a Sorry. team that might be the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference next yeah. year. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And I'm just looking at Pittsburgh. They don't. They're not going to have the exact same team either. Like they kind of got that nice. Them and San Jose got that nice cushion after going to the Cup last year, where they were going to have basically the same team this year. But they're not losing a ton of pieces. Like they're probably going to lose Nick Benino. Chris Kunitz. You can replace those And that, those hurt, but you can you find can replace those But compared to what Washington is yeah. potentially going to lose. I, so I, I, I see both sides of this argument, but I, I think they need to have a long, hard look at this roster and their future. They need to ask that question. Do we really believe that we are going to be contenders for the next two seasons? Do we really believe that? Are we trying to convince ourselves of that? And you're right. When you, when you talk about a GM worrying about his own job security that factors into this but well, I, I still think but, they're but if you're the ownership if you're the ownership and you just stay with the status quo and Washington goes out in the first or second round again next year are I mean where are you as as an ownership group are you saying okay hey that's that's great or at some point don't you want to make a change and say we need to I, I go back and forth on this because if they were, they're not in the Atlantic Division, but if they were in the other half of the bracket, with all due respect to Ottawa, I think it would be Washington in the conference final against Pittsburgh right now. And so then, do you view things differently because you finally made it out of the second round? But they're in the Metro. But, I mean, but they're going to play Pittsburgh matter. next year. Divisions they, yeah, matter. Teams, they do. You know, teams in the AL East used to react to what the Yankees used to do. I mean, it, it's, it, that matters because it's your path. We could say, well, we would be better if we were playing. Yeah, it doesn't matter. In this, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know what, the, NBA, the, the Spurs would have a lot easier time in the Eastern Conference, wouldn't they? But they're not, so you can't think that way. You have to act how you can in your own, your own path to the postseason. But you've got to be careful blowing a, a lineup like you this You do, up. again, and we said that. You have to be careful because yeah. you could have something like San Jose. But the fact that you are losing pieces already, though, and yes. you're, not, you're not getting anything for TJ Oshie or these other guys. Nope. And you're removing significant pieces from this roster next season. Your blue line next can your year. Other, can your other guys step up? And again, their prospect system isn't such that you have guys ready to step in. You exactly. have those young guys ready to take over. They're not there. Your blue line next year in terms of guys that are already signed, Brooks Orpik. Oof. That's a shame. Taylor Chorney, John Carlson, and uh, Matt Niskanen. I mean, they're, they're going to re-sign Orlov, but he's going to get a yeah. significant pay yeah. increase, so... Yeah, I mean, losing Alzner and Chat- Shattenkirk wasn't there most of the season anyway, and you could argue really wasn't there in the postseason anyway. So well, he, he was always a rental, so it's not like you're taking right, a step back. Yeah, there. exactly. But but losing Alzner hurts. I just I don't know what else you can do because you thought Shattenkirk was the best player available at the trade deadline. You got him for very little. You already had the best record in the NHL, so just, you've done everything as the GM that you can do. If, are, if you're the Rangers right now, are you looking at that saying, hmm? I mean, it's assumed that he's going to New York. Yeah. It's assumed that the Rangers are going to sign him. That's where he wants to be. If you're the Rangers, are you still gung-ho 
Do you say this is too short a sample size? We're not going to base our evaluation of Kevin Shattenkirk off what he did in the postseason? Or does it give you pause when you're handing out that kind of money and you're already, as, as we've established, you're already spinning your wheels? Yeah, they're, they're going to have, they're going to pay the piper in like three or four years. That, for, that team's going to be in trouble. Would you rather be the Rangers or the Capitals right now? Capitals. Yeah, still the Capitals. Right? Because the Rangers haven't had a first-round pick in 17 years. So <laughs> it's, it, at some point, they're, that's going to hurt them desperately. But it, the Capitals are better than the Rangers still going yes. into next year, and they, they have the options to try and make. They have pieces to trade, whereas the Rangers don't nearly have these, these Rangers pieces. Rangers just lost to Ottawa. That's true. Enough said. They just lost six, to Ottawa. Six games. Okay. I know, God bless Ottawa. They're the, they're the underdog story. Granted, they've had a ridiculously easy path to the conference final, and I didn't, I didn't even think they were going to get this far, but the Rangers should have won that series. And the fact that they didn't, how, how do you how do you kid yourself anymore as a as a Ranger executive or a Ranger fan? That that blue line is, is yeah you so tweet, bad. Right like now. we talked about that tweet from I don't even remember where it came from, but talking about the Rangers Cup window closing fast. It, yeah, it, it closed two years Tw- yes, ago. I from, don't think the organization has realized tweets from 2015. Window. Yeah, they're they're one of those teams. I mean, if they if they were playing Columbus in round one, they probably would have just been out in round one and we wouldn't even be thinking about them. But because mm-hmm. of the draw, maybe mm-hmm. that's what Washington needs to do next year, just drop down to the wild card spot in the Metro, and they can play the top team in the Atlantic, and then they'll be fine. They can go through that, that could path. Be, that could be Tampa Bay or Toronto next year. Oh, yeah. Still bow out. Yeah, yeah, that same. might not be the best the East is changing. Year. See, that's the thing. That's I don't feel good about the next two years for, for the Capitals, so they have to, that has to factor at least into their offseason decisions. Do we want to talk about some of these teams from the West, or do we want to save these for when Josh is... Uh, joining us here, which isn't too uh, far well, there's away. There's some news around the league, too. Right. I mean, you can, uh, not a lot to say about that, but the Sabres hired a GM, Jason Botterill. This, we've all expected this for more than a week now. He's only, he's only been the assistant GM in Pittsburgh for 10 years. And he's, most of those 10 years, I would say, what, five or six, he was one of the hottest names of, oh, this is the, the next GM, and he stayed there for 10 years. He was, I had heard that he was on the list of, uh, back when the Coyotes were considering bringing in a veteran to shepherd John Chica through the process that he was on the, the list of names. Well-respected guy around the league. It's, this is the last GM slot open, by the way, so all the GM slots are filled. Now we just have, what, two coaching vacancies still in Buffalo and then yeah. Florida? Mm-hmm. Yep. Florida so, is going to hire a coach at some point, right? Yeah, I, maybe. I, I would assume. They one of those. I would assume. Jonathan Huberto, player yeah, coach. I think is they're it, waiting yeah, for the... Jeremy you know, player really coach. DeJardin is still having his... Uh, Never mind. Plastic surgery. Oh, boy. He doesn't need to. He just needs to shave the mustache, and they'll be like, that's right. That's, oh, that was it. You're not that's what Eddie said. Build the yard. That's fantastic. Uh, the, we should mention, too, with the Capitals, Ovechkin hurt, apparently, playing with a lower body injury, which nobody wants to talk about today. I'm assuming it came from the Kadri hit in the first round. And, and so many people still say, yeah, but he's still, he's still Alex Ovechkin, typical Alex Ovechkin in the playoffs. Okay. He's a winger. There's only so much you can do. Yes. Uh, he gets blamed for everything. It's Alex Ovechkin's not the reason why they've, they lost that series. No. I mean, you, he could you certainly... You hoped he would be the reason can, why they would win that's it. Sure, you can put he some of the blame up, on him, but, but yeah. Not the but they're, they're, they lost. God, spread it around. Yeah. Again. To, to me, there's... It, it is weird how Nicholas Backstrom has escaped any criticism. Well, that's just really everybody me. else on the team. I mean, I was telling you on the way over here. Well, they, Shattenkirk got hit pretty hard, but yeah, Shattenkirk just because he's been so visibly awful. They were showing the the replay. They were breaking down the first goal last night, and they're talking about how Ovechkin. 
didn't catch up with Brian Rust and stop him from scoring. It's not his man. That's Ovechkin is a winger. He's supposed to be out on the point. Like, yes, it would have been nice if he could have got back up there. But at that point, you're kind of in crisis mode, and you're just trying to get to whoever you can. He wasn't out of position. That's not his guy. Like, yep. Washington's defense, that was kind of an eye-opener watching that series. They Ugh. need help back there. And I don't know where they're going to get it. I mean, yep. they can't really do anything. They're not going to be better than, than they were, have been well, the last two years. Well, they're losing two defensemen, as we just established, so that'll help. No, no probably not. The blue keeping, lines don't matter in this league. They're keeping Brooks Orpin. What do they do other than ignite your offense and defend in the defensive zone? So I, I can't think of a thing that they would add. So, Sorry. Go ahead. Do you want to talk about Richard Panik? Mildly. Um, it's just, I mean, you knew he was going to get a, a pay increase. He's making 2.8 a year, which... <laughs> I don't like this. I don't know what the Blackhawks are going to do. I mean, how do you plan to field the roster next year? You put Richard Ponick in the notes. Then I bring him up, and you're like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it's him. Just, it was just a quick newsy thing. He signed a two-year deal for $5.6 million. He had a nice breakout season. Uh, I worry about a guy like Richard Ponick never matching that again. Yeah. I, I mean, I, for any other team, I think you would say, okay, whatever, but... For a team that's I just, so I don't know. Chicago cannot afford to if they're if they're wrong, they cannot afford to be wrong on these middle six guys. Yeah, that's they just true. can't. They they have no margin for error with uh, with the money that they have left. Before we get to Josh, until then. they trade uh, Brent Seabrook, as we were talking about on the way over here, right? <laughs> to, to Washington, to Washington for Ovechkin, they'll give up a couple prospects as well. And Who will Washington or Chicago? Oh, the Blackhawks, of okay. course. Okay, yeah, yeah. be reasonable. And then about Alex Ovechkin this. will play on Jonathan Taves' left wing and. Problem solved. Yeah, <laughs> but it starts a whole new litany of problems. Um, before we get to Josh, talk about that Nashville uh, Anaheim series. We should talk about Anaheim Edmonton, and yeah. I'm interested to get your guys' thoughts on how this, how you view this season now for Edmonton. Because on the one hand, tremendous step, multiple steps forward. They were like 35 more points in the standings or something. They win a playoff series, and it wasn't. Like when Calgary two years ago beat Vancouver, it was kind of like a free path. They took out the team that won the Western Conference last year, and they pushed Anaheim to seven games, and they did so without Connor McDavid even really doing that much. So on the one hand, huge success. But on the flip side, you never know when you're getting back, and it was kind of wide open this year to keep going through the West. So That's the thing. And, and do you, you, you're right on that. You have to be careful not to over-evaluate what you've accomplished this season. And again, I go back to the San Jose series. What does that series look like if Joe Thornton isn't playing on two torn knee ligaments and Logan Couture doesn't have breathing problems? Yes. What does that series look like? Do they even get past the first round? I'm not sure they do. I still think San Jose is a better team. I think, they, I think San Jose probably wins in seven. So Edmonton's out in the first round then, and you're thinking, okay, well, we made, our, we made nice progress. We got to the... Got to the playoffs this year. We broke a 10-year drought. Yeah. So that, that's pretty good, even though the West wasn't very good this year. So I, I, when I look at Edmonton, I still see significant flaws on this team. And I don't know how they're going to solve them in the short term, to be honest. Well, I saw a tweet, and I don't remember who it was from last night, but it was a great point of, yes, look what you accomplished, and you should be happy with that. And to a certain extent, you accomplished it without McDavid doing what he's going to eventually yeah, do. Yeah, and let's, and let's talk about that a little more because Connor McDavid was not the same guy he was in the regular season. He had nine points in 13 games. He was good. He was a good player, but he wasn't 
But this is what he should he have been. He wasn't an MVP. Right, in his first playoffs. We talked about this. Every team's going to gear everything they have at him. And they yep. weren't playing a weak team defensively in the playoffs. San Jose's decent and Anaheim's great defensively. Right. And they were able to just pile Ryan Kessler and a bunch of other players on him. And mm-hmm. they slowed him down. I mean, you, we've... At, at this point in his career, Connor McDavid can be slowed down in a best-of-seven series against a good team. Right. But slowed that, down, though. Not bad. That means you have to have other guys step up in his stead, and Edmonton didn't have that. Well, they had Dreisaitl. The Dreisaitl was incredible. Yes, and was the Oilers' best player. Yeah, and I don't know where Mark Letestu came from with his production. That was unlooked for. But I beyond think that, that was Jordan Everly in disguise. <laughs> well, oh, Jordan Everly is one of the guys we should be discussing here because... Non-existent. He, but he's, he's been a really productive player. So, again, do you look at him as a... This was a, a small sample size where he didn't produce the way... But he has over the last few seasons and say... We can't afford to give up another guy who produces like that after we made an awful trade with Taylor Hall. Or do you look at moving a piece like that because he makes $6 million a year and, I don't know, further shoring up your defense? What, do you, what are you doing to tweak this team? Because there are some veterans on this team, too, that, that aren't going to be around that long, right? Everly is a tough one, but I think that if I'm running the Oilers... Well, I guess Sakara's only 30, sorry, so go ahead. Taylor Hall would never have been traded and then it would be a lot easier to trade Jordan Everly. But if I was taking over the Oilers today, my thought is this team's a playoff team next year with or without Jordan Everly. Not not to say he has no value, but I think I could trade him to another team that would need him more. And I just, the more I watch the Stanley Cup playoffs, the more I start to wonder, like, we've seen Everly contribute year in and year out, but we've never seen him in the playoffs before. And his team just made it to Game 7 of the second round, and I still don't feel like we've seen him in the playoffs. He was completely non-existent. So if I could get something good back for him and save some money, mm-hmm. I would do that because I think Edmonton at this point is a perennial playoff team. Okay. How are you feeling about Milan Lucic's future with this team? Uh, well, pretty was a, effective player right yeah, now. He's I mean, a pretty effective player this it's season. It's been a better fit than I thought because they were better quicker than I thought they would be. But, I mean, to, to me, I, I don't think when we talk about players they could move. If they move Nugent Hopkins and Eberle for the cap space and some sort of return, I, get something I don't think they're a significantly worse team. And I think yeah. you can use that money or you can use the players you get back to make that team better, that, the, particularly on the blue line. That team is clearly McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah. And, and I think, and Those, I know it, Jamie's yeah. loved Dreisaitl since... Day one, not the day he was drafted, since the day he was born, he's been on the dry sidle bandwagon. But I, I think you have, you legitimately could have a Taves Kane, Malkin Crosby, that level of duo at the top of your team. So I'm kind of with Jamie in that if you, you, you don't just want to like lose Nutrient Hopkins and Jordan Everly because they have value. And if you can't get something pretty good back right. for them, then keep them. I mean, they're, they're decent players. Right. But I think if you're trying to take the next step, those are probably the one of them at least probably needs to at be At least moved. you have two centers, and that's, that's a great starting point. Mm-hmm. You probably have three defensemen here that you're feeling really good about as well. I mean, you, you don't have that top guy, but you, Sakara and Clefbaum and Larson are three guys you feel pretty good about. So you've got a decent Nurse core, still, you know. and if, you, if you're trying to fill in on the wings, that's, that's probably a good place to be. Again, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have traded the, the guy who could be... Yeah. Scoring forty goals for you every year might still be playing if yeah. they hadn't made that. I know. I yeah. know that now the narrative is is absolutely the way that you thought it would go if they made the playoffs. So right. that was oh, a brilliant Bill trade. Was a good trade. Yeah. Got rid of Taylor Hall and we brought in defense. No, <laughs> could have used another goal or two in that last yep. game. And I know that hindsight's always twenty twenty, but that's not hindsight. All no, three it wasn't of us hindsight. hated it's that trade and a half. Just like the the Subban Weber deal. It's not hindsight when you're saying it from the second it happens. And I think I, I liked this. 
the, the Taylor Hall for Adam Larson deal, even less than Subban Weber. But going back to Lucic real quick before we bring Josh in, you know, Lucic was fine this year. Wasn't the thought when they acquired him, the issue is not this year. The issue is each year Absolutely. that goes by, he signed through 2023. Especially with the style of game he plays, I feel like that body is going to wear down sooner. And then what do you do when you've got him locked in at $6 million a year? For, yeah, six more years. I, I understand the constraints that general managers face with the salary cap and the fact that it's not going up very much each season the last couple of years. But the, they have to find – and, again, I know players are demanding longer deals, but, boy, you know, you got to find a way to maybe pay more money up front and shorten these deals. These long-term deals are just anchors on teams for a long time. And, yeah, it's paying somebody like Lucci to say 7.5 or 7.7 seven is a lot, but if you could do that over three – yeah, or to pay him a million more a year and say we're going to cut your con- now again he has to agree to it and all the other you know it's yeah. not a one sided negotiation but you'll be so much better off with the short term pinch than you would be having these five six seven year deals uh, where you're just absolutely just anchored I mean you can't do anything the three highest paid players on the Oilers. That was a line, right? Everly, Lucic, and Nugent Hopkins. Wasn't that that was a line? And that should have been a really good worry, line. Yeah. And they're your three highest paid players right now. Um, you don't have to pay McDavid for, what, two more years, and then you have to pay him every penny in the city, basically. Right. Yeah, when he's an RFA, it's not going to be an RFA deal. You're, there are yeah. no bridge deals there. No. No. And, and that, lock him up. that was the point I was, I was saying that I saw online. And Drysettle's an RFA after, after this season, actually, so yeah. they, they've got to figure that out because he was, he was spectacular in the postseason. That was the point that I had seen on Twitter, and I, like I said, I can't remember who it was, but to finish that point, when you have those guys on ELCs, this is kind of your chance to really make a run and maybe try and do something. And you, you still essentially have that next year because McDavid's still making less than a million dollars, yeah. basically. So, yeah. I, I mean, that team is – they're in good shape no matter what they do. And it, it was an eye-opener to see how good Dreisaitl was in the playoffs because as we're learning, and, and maybe we're not even learning, maybe we already knew this, certain guys perform in the playoffs, certain guys don't. And mm-hmm. so when you're stepping in your first playoffs and you're dominant like he was, oh, Edmonton – didn't shock me, but they certainly showed me something. Again, I like the fact that they have t- their top two centers are set. That's, so that's a really good position to be in, and mm-hmm. it, I'd like it more if they had, you know, a, a top defenseman. They, I don't feel like they're there yet. They may not get there. They may be more like a, like an Anaheim where you have a bunch of good defensemen if they could get to that point. They're not. They're not at that point yet. No, they're no, not no. even close but, to that point right now. But that's what they're hoping for. But they do need to. They need to figure out. The other forward spots. They need to fill in quite a few holes, I think. And you hope this series is a, is a teaching moment for them. You had an opportunity to step on the Ducks' throats, and you let it slip through your fingers, and you lost the series. How about the fact that both of the Game 6s, and I know Jamie sort of alluded to this earlier in the show, but it, it's not just that the teams that won Game 6 lost Game 7. Like Edmonton destroyed Anaheim in yes. Game 6, yeah. and Washington pretty much destroyed Pittsburgh in Game 6, and I, they both lost Game 7. I almost felt like that was bad, to be honest. I felt like the other you were going to get a response from the other team after getting well, blown out and Ed, humiliated. Edmonton like had that. to go up by six goals because... They had to score every, every time they shot the puck in the first period. Yes, yeah. and their three-goal lead with three and a half minutes on Friday night wasn't safe for some reason, so they basically had to come out and build a touchdown lead. It, it's, it's just more of an, what, what I texted you when you asked the question, you know, if, oh, if, if Washington wins game six, this is over. And I said, I, I don't believe in that narrative. I just, it does t- every yeah. game is different. Yeah. The other piece we didn't mention for... Game six going back to Washington, Edmonton at least had to go to Anaheim. The other thing we didn't mention about Edmonton, by the way, is Cam Talbot played really well. They, yeah. they found themselves a goaltender. Yes, they so they've got some important pieces in place, but they've got some work to do 
to be a real cup contender. It's really nice, though, to have Connor McDavid. Because Doesn't hurt. he will cover up a lot of deficiencies on your team as time goes well, on. Well, I mean, I think if they don't do anything, they're still a cup contender next year. I mean, you've, yeah. you're, you're set at center. You have that player. You've got a goalie. You're going, he's going to be the best player in the game very soon. And yes. I would, at the moment at least, it looks like whenever Chicago comes down off of being, from year to year, the top team in the West, Edmonton is, sure seems poised to take that next step. Yeah, and they're going to face a lot less competition in that division, I think, the next yeah. couple of years in Chicago or any other team in the Central well. By the way, we, we kind of glossed over the Ottawa Senators, who are also in the, oh, yeah, <laughs> the nice. conference so final. All you guys have ever wanted to do is gloss over them. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how much you ignore them, Luke. I, I try and bring them up. But I know. Every week, Craig tries no, to bring them up. No, no, Luke, no. Just... I've been driving the Ottawa bandwagon since like, we We at least have January. to acknowledge the fact that Ottawa, somebody from that quadrant had to advance to the conference yes. final. And it's Ottawa. Good for Ottawa. Good, on, good for Ottawa, exactly. Good for Eric Carlson, who's just... Hey, we were having this conversation on the way over. He has to be considered now one of the three best players in the world. He has to be. He, he makes an impact every time he's on the ice. He's, he's, he's now a complete player. Yes, I and agree. That's something, that's something you champion when you talk to him. He is now a complete player. and with the, his So freely ability. admitted it, too, in that interview. Just yeah. admitted that it was a weakness in his game, and it was something that he needed to focus on more this year. But and he did. God bless him. He, he, he did. did, and suddenly and sh- and he, was he has the ability to, at it. Yeah, so yeah, So with exactly. that just prolific offensive skill from the blue line, with now being more, well more than competent defensively, you're looking at a super, superstar. Yeah. He's been the best player in the playoffs, right? I was looking at this I on I think so. Right Saturday, now I think uh, I would have to vote for him for Consolite. He's not going to win it because Ottawa's not going to get past this round. But right now, I, I wouldn't even think twice. Yeah, he would yeah. get my vote as Codspice. Ryan Getzlaff, Sidney Crosby before he was hurt, and Eric Carlson, three players that were already three of the best players in the world that have taken their game to the next level, either this season or specifically during the playoffs with Getzlaff. I mean, they were, they've all – you don't often see the best players always play their best hockey at this time of year, but that's what they've been doing, and Carlson's been uh, at the very top of the list. All right, Josh is calling in. All right, we're joined now by Josh Cooper of Puck Daddy, who is probably the single best person in the world to talk to about this Anaheim-Nashville series because wow. I don't want to say where he lives, but he lives in the southwestern United States, and he used to cover Nashville very closely. So he's seen both these teams quite a bit. Josh, how excited are you for this series? I'm pretty excited. Uh, I, I do know both teams somewhat well. Uh, I did cover the National Predators for four years, and um, I, I will break this news. I, I live in um, Los Angeles. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but uh, first time I've ever had to apologize for that, actually, interestingly. Um, well, we are but, based uh, in Phoenix, so. <laughs> I know. I, I love Phoenix. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a very interesting series. I I uh, been telling people uh, for the last I guess ever since Anaheim won this won uh, their second series against Edmonton last night that I believe uh, that my prediction will come down to a coin flip in which I will <laughs> take a quarter and I will toss it up in the air and if it's heads it's Nashville and if it's tails it's Anaheim and that will be my prediction in seven games just because I feel like. Anaheim has more talent. I think they have certainly have more depth than Nashville. But the Predators have been playing so well. And, and I think that when, they're, when a team gets on a roll, especially the way Nashville is, and on top of that, they're coming into this series so rested and so just kind of in a spot where they can really – I mean, 
schedule maker did the Ducks no favors in this series as far as not giving them an extra day um, after a game after a seven game series. So I, I, I think that it, it bodes well for Nashville. I think the series breaks down well for Nashville, and uh, in my opinion, they should probably uh, they they it, it it makes more sense for them to beat Anaheim, but I also think Anaheim just has a better overall, more balanced hockey team than the Preds. If Nashville does win this series, why do they win this series? Uh, I, I think they're, they have solid offense coming from their defense. They play a very committed team uh, defensive structure for the most part. I think uh, the one place they do have a certain discernible advantage over the Ducks is in goal. I think Pecorine is a much better goaltender than John Gibson. Uh, Pecorine, when he's on, is elite. John Gibson, to me, um, just doesn't seem to have that same sort of game-stealing ability, though he has in the past won some big international tournaments. But I, I think really at the end of the day, it just comes down to that, and it also comes down to the schedule. I, I've seen teams get burnt out when they're playing every other day, and the Anaheim Ducks are pretty much, to win this series, going to have to play every other day for like two weeks or something like that, or three straight weeks. And that's a lot. That's just really difficult you don't have a lot of off days and I think that if they for example were playing on if they started the series on Saturday and the Ducks didn't have to travel uh, which is the situation they have home ice I think that the series is much more even but the schedule maker is really the way it's broken down and I think some of it does have to do with building availability just that there is an event in Anaheim on Saturday I think the way it's broken down is certainly favorite things for the Predators um, as far as kind of just the whole rest and being able to kind of reset, reset the mechanism, so to speak, for the Ducks. I want to chat with you a little bit about the Ducks goaltending. You brought up Gibson. What do they need him to do in this series? Do they need him to match the level of play of Rene, or do they need him to simply not have these blow-up games where four or five goals go in really early and they have to pull them? He needs to be consistent. Like, and he, I mean, and I, I guess the one thing with John Gibson is that he is, for the most part, pretty consistent, but I just don't see his high end potential the same as Rene's. But I think that he just has to play well for seven, or I guess over the stretch of potentially seven games. He, I, don't think, I don't think we're under the illusion that he's going to steal a game. Uh, but I think he just has to make the types of saves that don't deflate a team. Because, look, I mean, when you're a hockey player, you work for absolutely every single inch on the ice. You want to be able to uh, be in a spot where if you do make a mistake, your goaltender does bail you out. And if he really lets in a softie, which Gibson's done a couple times this playoffs, then I think that that makes things a little bit more difficult overall. But... Uh, I just think he has to keep playing well. I mean, really, at the end of the day, even though I don't think he's as good as Pecorino, he has gotten his team to this point, and he also was very good against an Oilers team, with the exception of that one game, but he was very good against an Oilers team that both uh, pretty much two of the best offensive players in the entire game, and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. So I, I think that um, you know he's shown that he can play well enough, but... I don't know. There's just always kind of this question mark with him. When he's in a tough spot, it's because he's going to make the big save. It's, it's really, he's a really hard goalie to figure out from that perspective. Josh, looking back at that series with Edmonton, especially the last three games where you know, Edmonton looks like they have game five and they lose it, and then they score seven in game six, and then all of a sudden game seven's a, a low-scoring uh, win for Anaheim. 
How, how much in your mind of, of Anaheim's ability to come back in Game 5 and then bounce back in Game 7 was just simply the experience factor that Edmonton doesn't have yet? Well, first off, isn't hockey the best where yes. we can have situations like that? I mean, seriously, like it's the most bizarre sport ever where, where something like that happens. Or, for example, I mean, heading into Game 6 with the uh, Ottawa Senators and the Rangers, I think the Senators held a 3-2 lead in the series, and it only led for like 13 minutes the entire series. Some insanely low number. I mean, what, what, what a game this is. But uh, getting back to your question, I, I think it does kind of lend to the experience factor, but also in, in hockey especially, I, I, these are all such good teams. There's so much parity, and momentum barely lasts in the postseason. I mean, you had the situation where the Ducks had that epic comeback and then they lost the next game 7-1 against the Oilers and then came back and then won game seven and really did so in, in such an impressive way where, and I, I was talking to someone about this earlier, where once they, I guess they kind of got sort of cleansed of that first goal, so to speak. I mean, it was just foot on the throat the whole way. They were on the gas. And I, I, generally in today's day and age with hockey, where there's so much parity in the, in the NHL, you never see a team be able to just continuously dominate another team in the postseason for the length of time that the Ducks did over the Oilers in Game 7, basically from the start of the second period uh, through the end of the game. But, I mean, that's just basically what they did. So it's, I'm not surprised at how the series ended up playing out, but... I mean, it, it does just go to, it does in a lot of ways go to show and the way they performed in game seven, especially after that soft goal they allowed at the beginning. And that, I mean, that one actually wasn't John Gibson's fault. That was just an own goal. Uh, to be able to bounce back from that, especially with Anaheim's terrible game seven history of losing four straight to bounce back from such an awful goal like that and end up winning. I mean, I think it does speak a lot to, at very least, the character within that locker room and the way that they, just did not give up on that. I thought it was pretty, um, thought they did a nice job there. Josh, you had a chance to work with David Poyle for a long time in Nashville. First, just want, want to get, first of all, your read on, I guess, what he was like to work with, how much credit he deserves. I did a piece, of course, looking back at some of the key trades that he made to build this team. Uh, I, you know, I, don't, I can't think of a GM who has made as many significant trades as he has to contribute to a team as much as you build through the draft. Uh, just your take on, on working with him, and do you think that he has enough of a national profile? It's hard for me to get a read covering the sport. I don't know if this guy's respected enough for the job he does. Well, I think he's respected in the hockey community. I don't know if he's as respected or well-known nationally. I mean, he's, he doesn't exactly – he he's known as a guy that's been around the game for a long time, but he's not exactly this big, booming personality. He just sort of goes about his business and does what he does. But, I mean, to me, I think – it was funny. When I first got to the team, I think it was 2010-11 uh, uh, was my first year covering them. And uh, you know, he was known as a super cautious general manager at that point who never made any big trades. I mean, yeah, he, he had the big Peter Forsberg move at one point, but ultimately – but ultimately, he was known as a guy who was cautious, built through the draft. And I, I just remember uh, a conversation I had with him just about team building uh, for a story I did. And he was talking about, he made a baseball analogy, and he said, we want singles. Singles are good. You know, singles, singles get you, get, you know, if you have a bunch of singles, it gets you home. And basically, 
you know, I, I jokingly say his the Predators' ability to, to win at a at a higher clip in the playoffs and have some of the success is is David's embracing of the dark arts, so to speak, of getting offensive players who may not have the great defensive leanings that some of the past players in the organization did, but are guys who certainly know how to score. And, uh, you know, getting Ryan Johansson was huge in that front. Uh, P.K. Subban, I still think that, at least in the interim, or at least in the immediacy of the P.K. Subban-Shea Weber trade, that deal is somewhat of a wash, but he kind of, he does bring a bit of a different, more exciting element. I, I still think it doesn't really matter who's, you know, if you have P.K. Subban or Shea Weber, you know, I, I, I think the Canadians still do what they did this year, and I think the Predators still do what they did this year, or are doing this year. But, I mean, that's another big move. But to me, I mean, the biggest move David Poyle has made uh, was just absolutely fleecing George McPhee for <laughs> Philip Forsberg. To yes. me, that, that saved David's job. I don't, I don't know if it saved David's job. I mean, he was still pretty well liked and still seen as a very good general manager, but certainly changed the entire dynamic of the National Predators in the future because, I mean, Philip Forsberg, to me, is a star player. He, he plays, you know, he's, a, he's on the power plays and the penalty kill. He's killing off late-game situations. He's on the ice to score goals. To me, that, that just changed everything. So, I mean, I think the thing with David Poyle and what he's been able to accomplish just has to do with how he's changed his mindset. And maybe it just has to do with maybe there's, there's more money with the Predators now. Maybe ownership is kind of loosening the purse strings, so to speak. I mean, guys, I remember when I covered them, the big move they made was acquiring Mike Fisher, who's granted a really nice two-way player, but it's like, you know... I, it's not exactly a head-turning type move when you acquire a guy who averages like 20 goals and you know 40-some-odd points, and that's sort of like your big, big trade. Um, but he's, he's done a lot uh, the last few years and certainly deserves a lot of credit as far as getting guys who can... Maybe that's Peter Laviolette telling him, David, you have to do this. I won a Stanley Cup. I know what we need. Or maybe it's just David saying, you know what, I'm just going to get these guys and we'll see what happens because whatever I was doing before clearly wasn't working. Uh, I mean, it was working in the sense they were winning, but not at this level. So, I mean, got to give him props. In his 60s, he, uh, he figured out different philosophies or tried to figure different philosophies, and they've worked. And, Josh, you know, you mentioned Philip Forsberg, who was traded for Coyotes fan favorite Martin Erat. Uh, but if the, the blue line's been talked about. <laughs> Coyotes legend. Yes, Coyotes, Coyotes legend. legend. Uh, but the blue line's been talked about a lot. But if there's one forward that might be able to take over the series for Nashville, whether it's Forsberg or Arvidsson or Johansson, who would that be? Who is that, that, that dynamic scorer to watch that might be able to put up four, five, six goals in the seven Oh, it's series? Forsberg. Oh, my God, is it Forsberg. He's so good. He's, he's, he's magic. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable watching that guy play. To me, he's kind of like the new Marion Hosta. I mean, now, granted, Marion Hosta, the guy who scored, I think, for 50 goals. I mean, Philip Forsberg's never hit that point. But, but with the way the NHL is right now, with kind of the belief in two-way hockey on the wing with some of these guys, um, he is a sim- he's built in a similar type mold. He just he plays that sort of two-way style. He's fast. It's impossible to knock off the puck. He's got a great shot. Um, he elevates his game in important moments. He's certainly not one of those players that shies away. Uh, and, and I think that that's just been so key for them. And he's, to me, he's just such a, such a good hockey player. I love watching him play. And, again, I, I personally, 
the Nashville Predators, in my opinion, without that trade, are not where they are right now. I mean, that is, that trade was a franchise-altering move, and it, it was a franchise-altering move. In, I mean, because look, like when you get rid of Shea Weber, and when you get PK Subban, you have to get rid of Shea Weber. When you get Ryan Johansson, you have to get rid of Seth Jones, which is what was the I guess the uh, the price David Boyle had to pay in that move. He only gave up Martin Erat for a franchise winger. I mean, like, and Erat was fine, but, whew, I mean, it just, it completely altered everything about that organization, how they operated, uh, the types of players they could build around. I mean, it, 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 it will go down, in my opinion, in hockey history as one of the absolute biggest, most ridiculous deals we've ever seen. He, no love for Michael Lotta. Just saying. I did like him a lot, actually. He was great on the Epics uh, show or whatever when uh, the Capitals <laughs> and the Winter Classic. Uh, so that's Wilson. your first entry, like, huh? That's your first thing. Yeah, that's your first compliment. Okay. Well, he was like, he was like the Bash Brothers. Uh, it was like the Bash Brothers in Mighty Ducks 2, like between him and Tom Wilson. It was hilarious. Well... If, uh, if Capitals fans hadn't already turned off the podcast, they certainly have now because I'm sure they could use Philip Forsberg. But I, I don't think watching Capitals fans listening to anything hockey-related today. That's probably pretty fair and accurate. Uh, Josh, real quick, back to Anaheim. Have they, by winning on, uh, on Wednesday night, does that just shed that whole Game 7 choker label that, you know, that they had developed, I guess, over the last couple of years? And, and the second part of the question, how much of this run has been Ryan Getzlaff? Is this the best hockey you've seen him play in a while? I think it has to shed that label. I, they they won. They finally won, and they won a game seven where they were losing. I mean, like it was this is, this wasn't like a situation where they got the first goal and they kept the pressure up. I mean, they were losing in that game, and the first goal that the Oilers scored was so deflating. I mean, that building was electric before the start of the game. It, it just completely took the air out of everything, and they came back and they won. I mean, it was. So impressive on their part, but uh, okay, what was the second part of the question again? It just gets left. I mean, how much of a role does he play? Oh, you know, yeah. keeping them calm and, and finding he, ways to win. He's been great. He's been great. I mean, it, it's one of those situations where and I wasn't here. I mean, I, I covered the league during Getzlav's uh, the year where he finished second in the Hart Trophy voting, but I didn't I didn't follow the Ducks nearly as closely as I do right now. And the one thing with Getzlav, since I've been out here watching him, is that. He just always seemed to try to do too much, or not always, or did try to seem to do too much. And, yeah, he would get his points, but every now and then you'd have this, like, blind backhand drop pass that would create this epic turnover and the team would, the other team would go the other way and have a good scoring chance. He's not doing that anymore, and he's shooting the puck a lot more. And his decisions when he's shooting the puck, like, like he's not just shooting. He's not, like, doing what Alex Ovechkin does and just shoots the puck from every angle. Like, he's making really good choices when he's shooting the puck. And and that's the big key for me is he's become an absolute matchup nightmare. And in a series that included Leon Dreisaitl, the last series against the Oilers, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid and all the star power that Edmonton has up front with some of their guys, Ryan Getzloff to me was the best player on both teams. He was absolutely fantastic. You can tell he wants this so badly. You can smell it. He knows he's got a great chance to make the cup final. When they lost two years ago in the Western Conference final, it was the Chicago Blackhawks, which is a really, really good dynastic-type team. 
Nashville is not Chicago. They're really good. Not the same organization, not the same structure, not the same type of winning pedigree. So I think that gets lost sense of that. I think that that's why, at least Edmonton, the previous round too, I mean, I think that he probably knows there's a great chance for him. And at age 32, maybe one of his last chances to lead the Ducks to a uh, potential championship. Josh, before we let you go, anything jump out at you from the other conference? I don't know how closely you've been following that, but obviously a a nice storyline developing here with Pittsburgh possibly being the first team to repeat in 19 seasons. Yeah, but I feel so bad for the Capitals. Yeah, Yeah, we've passed through all that, actually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I, I just can't get over that. And and look, I mean, I covered Barry Trotz for a number of years in Nashville. He was so great to me. Uh, really good guy. So, I mean, I'm looking at this through, you know, Barry Trotz uh, colored glasses, so to speak. But I, I feel so terrible for, for the Capitals. <laughs> it's, just, it's just unbelievable how many times they can put out or put, put together such a well, just, just a, 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 the type of hockey team that you dream of putting together, that's balanced up front, in the salary cap area at least, that's balanced up front. It's balanced on defense. It has a great goaltender. That has a really good coaching staff, and you just can't beat one team that seems to always have question marks going into these series. I mean, good God, like they didn't have Carl Hagelin or Trevor Daly in Game Seven. I mean, and that's tacked on to the fact that who knows what's happening with Sidney Crosby right now? He's right. had a concussion and his head slammed into the boards another time in the series. And Chris Letang I mean, is out you, the whole series. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got injuries up the wazoo with that team. Uh, Chris Letang's not playing. Uh, I mean, they're, I mean as good as, even though Marc-Andre Fleury's won a Stanley Cup, he's still the backup goaltender there. And they still lost. It's just, uh, I, but, I mean, anyway, I, I, there, there's, there's something else, another, another element. Sort of, I mean, it's, as tough as that is for Washington, I, I will, in some respects, be pulling for Pittsburgh in the next round because I, I can't deal with watching the way the Ottawa Senators play, <laughs> like, anymore. Aside like, from I, Eric Carlson, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, aside from Eric Carlson, who's, who's amazing and does so many things incredibly well off the ice, and is just such a beautiful hockey player, uh, I, I can't watch this team play anymore. <laughs> it's just they're so – the system is so defensive-oriented. Yep. It's like watching the 95 New Jersey Devils all over again. And granted, like, that team won a Stanley Cup, but – that team led to the dead puck era and just basically the end of fun in hockey. And it's an era that we're still trying to recover from. And if, if this team goes all the way and wins with the way they play, I, 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 I fear, I fear for what's going to happen to this sport. I really do. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the name of the game is to win, and they're certainly winning a lot. There's no question about that. Josh, uh, last question before we let you go. Now that the Kings are trending downward and Anaheim's in the Final Four, how many Kings fans are becoming Ducks fans in Southern California right now? None. Absolutely none. <laughs> none. I, 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 but I, like, I like the reason why you asked that. It's sort of the uh, kind of the, uh, the front-runner mentality. Or, hey, look, I, I'm not from here. I'm from New York City, uh, and I'm terrified that my kid's going to end up being a Dodgers fan. Uh, I... I <laughs> Like, I, I, need, I need to continue the great tradition of uh, Mets fandom there. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I know. Uh, but, 
I, I, I don't think any of the Kings fans want to, want the Ducks to win. I, I, I really don't. I, I think that there's no love lost between those two uh, fan bases. I think there's a lot of respect within the organization. Um, a lot of it really goes on behind the scenes. Um, you don't really see it out front and center. Um, but I, I, I in no way, shape, or form get the feeling that anyone here who likes the Kings wants the Ducks to win. I mean... L.A. is a totally different world from Orange County and vice versa. I mean, one of the things, and, and I will say this, um, you know, one of the things the Ducks do really well is they've made themselves Orange County's team. Uh, you know, what, it's basically, it is a suburb team. I mean, it's kind of like the Islanders to some degree in New York, but, I mean, it works. And there's, there's certainly a sense of pride in that. And I don't think you'll ever see anyone, and granted, like, I haven't lived out here long enough to really know, but... I don't think you'll see anyone from Los Angeles try to um, jump into uh, rooting for a team from Orange County. Um, it just doesn't really feel like it's the L.A. vibe, so to speak. That's great. That's probably that's probably the answer I should have expected. Well, Josh, this was uh, this was great stuff as always. Thanks for the time and enjoy the uh, at least the Western Conference Final, if not beyond. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's fun times out here. It's, it's crazy to think that we got a team from Southern California and a team from Nashville playing for the. Western Conference. It must be like when the Coyotes played the Kings a few years ago. Pretty cool overall. It's, it's a Canadian nightmare, and the only Canadian team left is Ottawa, who they don't want to talk about anyway. Well, I mean, my only question I have is, what do you think is the TV match that the NHL is not rooting for the most? Uh, it's got to be Ottawa-Nashville. Uh, yeah, Ottawa-Nashville, right? yes. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm fairly certain I mean, of that. <laughs> I, I, I think that they, no matter what, want Sidney Crosby in the final, yes. and even if Ottawa wins, they'll figure out a way to get Sidney Crosby on the Senators. <laughs> Like there's just there's just no way I, I just I just can't I, I just can't imagine it is just it is going to be a, I mean I, I think Nashville will do well just because they'll have the country music I mean I think they'll do as I think they'll do better than the Ducks they're about as good as you could possibly get for what's left um, but yeah I mean it's it's not going to be a very watched final we're going to see a lot of uh, bad TV ratings I think yep well Josh thanks so much for the time man take care. No problem. Take care, guys. Thanks, Josh. That's Josh Cooper. You can find him on Twitter, at Joshua Cooper. Does a ton of work for Puck Daddy. Always a great interview. He's officially a friend to the show now, as he has been yes. on the show multiple times. So we can we can absolutely call him that at this point. Okay. What's, uh, what's the transition from here? Should we, should we put him on the board? Yeah. We yeah. should be writing friends names of, on the wall Friends of the podcast. Uh, I don't even know who's on that list, to be honest. Did Cooper. Mike Rousseau. Chris Hine. Uh, Chris Hine. Rosen. Is certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rosen um, was the first, wasn't he? He was the first. He's the initial to the uh, the podcast. Yes, he's the he best do, friend of the podcast. I we, think we do make need to make a list because I'm losing track. I don't think we've had anybody on three times yet. No, really. Who will yeah. be the first? Well, the, the first guest times. we had on three times was Craig, and now he's on the podcast. Yeah, so, so we have to be careful. <laughs> Once you have a guy on three times, <laughs> it's gonna be like a seven man show. <laughs> Sebastian Noren's getting close. He's Ooh, been on that's twice. true. Uh, never when Jamie's here, though. It's very odd. I don't know if yeah. they hate each other or if they're the same person. Yeah. You haven't heard my Swedish accent, have you? Uh, or maybe you have. I haven't met your uh, Alabama yeah. wife either. So that's, that's a great point. That's a nice callback to 37 episodes oh. ago. Uh, i tell you where we can go from here. Ottawa's the only Canadian team left, yep. and they really just aren't, they aren't talking about them. I mean, that, how many times have we said on the show leading up to this, how hilarious would it be if Ottawa was the, the last Canadian team standing because – they're kind of the forgotten team, even why up is, in Canada. Why is that? It's not the smallest market in no. Canada. It's the capital. 
Why is that? I don't. I don't understand it. I, we, we should have had someone from Canada. Yeah, there's, there's some I mean, I get Toronto and Montreal. James Myrtle, also a friend of the podcast. True. You get Toronto and Montreal, right? Even, maybe even get Vancouver because it's the it's the West Coast mentality of Edmonton's Canada. Edmonton's got the history. I mean, each okay. Montreal is, is their so, own so thing. So we're, we're down to Calgary. So, I, would people be talking about Calgary if they were in it? I don't. I don't know. I think more so. Calgary than has a better history, though. That's that's the other thing. Ottawa's a. They don't really have a, a history. fairly new sort of franchise that actually existed in the early part of the well, 20th century, but they're not really the same team, and no. nobody remembers that. And, and let's let's just call it for what it is. They're, Toronto fans don't like Ottawa. <laughs> Toronto fans are a pretty big part of the market up in Canada. So you're the Maple Leafs rival, and you've never won anything, and you and Toronto's paid Alexi Oshin a lot of money. Toronto's I, your best team. Just saying, Canada. Toronto's your best team. Toronto's your best team, but Ottawa's the only one left with a chance to win the Stanley Cup this yeah, year. Yeah. So, uh, anything you want to react to that Josh said? I think the Philip Forsberg thing is interesting because we're sitting here talking about what Washington can use. If they had yeah, Philip they Forsberg, I mean, we're never going to know, but would they have won last year or this year, perhaps? At least gotten past it Pittsburgh? Wouldn't have hurt. No, it definitely wouldn't have hurt, it, it, especially when you look at what but, they gave up. I yeah. Just, it's the wow. worst. It's the worst it's, trade I can it's, remember. It's one of the worst trades. It was in my five trades that made the Predators a legitimate cup contender. Wow, that would story be, today. It has to be number plug, one. Plug. Well, I just did them chronologically, but uh, yeah, I was su- surprised to hear him downplay Mike Fisher because Mike Fisher, yeah. he's a key piece in this. I yeah, mean, this, I don't think he was. I think he was just saying relative to some of these other players. Well, yeah, and, and that trade was again not retrospect was ridiculous from the second it was made, and I yeah. think a lot of people said that. But again, you don't, you don't know what roster construction looks like. Do they do they get T.J. Oshie if they have Philip Forsberg? Is right. how much you know? There's a lot of things that go they gave up nothing but, to get Mike Fisher either. By the way, yeah. So but the reality is, Philip Forsberg is a much better player than what they oof. what they got in return, it's and it's not close. That's so one sided. That was it was so weird. Craig and I were talking about this yesterday. I mean, there there have certainly been trades where I thought I thought one team lost and the other team won, or it wasn't good for one team, and then it plays out a little bit differently. Jamie's right. I mean, the second that trade was made, how much had we heard about Philip Forsberg and all his immense upside? And he hadn't even really played yet for Washington, and they trade him away. And I remember the year he got drafted, there was talk that, yeah, he's probably going to go towards the the bottom half of the top ten, but he might end up being the best player in this draft. And yeah. I have to go back and look at that draft, but I'm guessing he's the best player well, from that draft. That was a lot, a lot of the talk was for, Philip Forsberg would be the best player overall. He at least Tori Teravainen would be the rawest player of them all that might actually turn into a, a star player. So he was highly talked up this whole time. This wasn't like a late bloomer. The people we knew what Philip Forsberg had the potential to be when that trade was made. I don't yeah. know how you make that trade. I just I'm, I'm baffled. Yeah, for a player like Martin Ebat, it's one thing if you if you traded for a, a superstar that just turned out well. That was it. He was done after that season. Sometimes you make that mistake. There was no the upside to Ebat was never going to be more than what he was at the time, which even if he stayed at that level, was nowhere near worth Philip Forsberg. The upside to Erat sounds like a very like introspective it, novel. It could be the title of our podcast. It could week. be the title of the Capitals like last ten years. The, the two thousand twelve draft. That's that's no, I was searching for that too. Naily Akapov was the first overall Ooh, pick. Okay, so that's the best. Ryan Murray, Alex Galchenyuk, who is probably on the block, uh, Morgan Riley, Hampus Lindholm. This is not a good draft. Jacob well, Truba. There's some good players, but there's yeah. no Forsberg's the star. Forsberg, of this yeah, draft. right now, it was weak. Zengis Gergensen's, Tomas Hurdle. That's it. Taravainen. Yeah, that's got to be one of the worst drafts in the last. Well, 10 and years. it was anticipated to be a, a weak draft. Oh, from, look, Henry, even when it was. Oh, happening. look, Henrik Samuelsson. Maybe we should stop oh, talking oh. about that. Uh, maybe we should name s- the last time the Cardinals drafted a center that can't skate. I'll wait. Oh, that's rude. Maybe we should stop uh, 
when we talk about how Edmonton ended up getting four number one overall picks, maybe we should just stop and, and say they only got three because they got the first pick in the 2012 yeah. draft, which is basically useless. Unless you were going to take Forsberg, and again, he was projected to go about where he did with the caveat that he might be the best player. Yeah. So can you really take him at number one? Probably not. Yeah, and, and hindsight, he wasn't going number one. Like, no. he wasn't going number one in that draft he when it happened. So I don't think you can uh, you can not. Yeah, he's the best that. player in that draft. Uh, a couple things that I have learned in the last week, or at least items that have given me pause. One, my opinion on Washington has changed quite a bit in the last 24 hours. But two, I don't know that momentum means anything in the playoffs anymore. I really, I don't. I don't think it means anything, period. I mean, th- I, th- there well, is some level of... has a definition in the dictionary. I think momentum means something within a game, but beyond that, no, yeah. I, don't, I don't believe that it, it extends game to game or certainly not season to season. All that, I think, is overblown. Yeah. Season to season, I agree. But I, game to game in a seven-game series, I always kind of thought that was at I, I least mean, part of it. I, I just never buy uh, Yes, there is some unquantifiable factor that plays into it, but I think that always gets overrated because it's easy to say, oh, well, they had momentum. Yeah, they had momentum until the other team scored a goal. Then that team has momentum now? Well, if right. they, yeah, but I thought you couldn't lose momentum, then when the, the Ducks, other team scored. When the Ducks blew a 3-2 lead to the Blackhawks, was it because the Blackhawks gained momentum from Game 6, or was it because Joel Quenville made some very key adjustments on the ice that the Ducks couldn't match. Yeah, I don't think it was... I never thought it was the only thing, but that Anaheim-Edmonton series where Anaheim comes back from down three in three and a half minutes, comes yeah, back and wins crazy. double overtime, you think they're just going to cruise in game six, and then Edmonton scores seven goals, and then you're like, okay, maybe they're set up to at least score in game seven, and they score once, and as Josh pointed out, Anaheim scored Edmonton's goal. Yeah. <laughs> to, to me, I think there's more to say about mental toughness and experience than there is to say about momentum. And, and it's whether or not you cannot let... Because the obvious thing is to let that be in your mind. Wow, we give up all those goals in Game 6. Uh, we give up the first goal in Game 7. It's then, okay, can you turn it around mentally and, okay, we're going to keep doing what we know is successful or are you going to try to change the way you play? Are you going to press? I think that's where momentum can come into it when you just kind of get into a mental spiral of panic. I think if you don't panic... Momentum means very little. And that's, you know, back to the point on Ryan Getzlaff. That's what I think has been so impressive about him in these playoffs. He's stepped up production-wise, but if you just look at the way that series went, where, you know, Edmonton won the first two games of that series, and Anaheim was unfazed. And Edmonton was up by three with three and a half minutes left in game five, and Anaheim was unfazed. And Edmonton scored seven goals in game six, and it just never rattled Anaheim. And... One of you guys brought this up last show. There's that image of Ryan Kessler and Corey Perry sitting on the bench listening right. intently to every single thing Ryan Getzlaff says. Yeah, and that's, yeah, exactly. And it, uh, we mentioned this in the last show, too. It's, it feels like a throwback for him, and maybe it, maybe it is like Josh says. He, he smells it. He can see Chicago's gone. Mm-hmm. Chicago's not in the picture now. So the path, you can't say it's cleared, but the path is easier. You don't have that dynasty waiting for you in the conference final. You can get back to the cup final again, and he is, God, he's risen to an incredible level. He'd probably be, when Eric Carlson gets eliminated, if Getzloff gets to the final, he's a candidate for Conn Smythe as well, without a doubt. Yeah, let's let's go around real quick here. Predictions? Well, that, but first let's do who's your your Conn Smythe winner from each team right now, if it, it, you know, heading into these, I guess the second half of the playoffs, four teams left. And I'm Getzloff. Pretty uh, clearly, right? Getzloff, and I don't think it's close. Ottawa's pretty clearly. Carlson's Carlson's not close. Yeah, I think with Pittsburgh, you have to go with, would it be Malkin or would it be Flurry? It might might be Flurry. That's close. Which is a story we do need to talk about next week because, I mean, (laughs) 
I, I heard I'm this. Actively rooting for Marc Andre Fleury. I, I don't. I like the story. If you don't like the Penguins, I get it. But the Fleury thing with just the way he handled everything well, last careful year. Careful how you put that after what he did last night. And and, and the way he handled things uh, this year, and just the simple fact that he feel uncomfortable with that wording, but he. <laughs> should we start the whole show over? No. Um, just the simple fact that he was bad in the playoffs a few years ago, and not mm-hmm. just for one year, for three or four or five years. I heard this uh, driving home after the, the Penguins game against Washington last night. People, people on the radio saying, you know, it, it's, this just proves that people have been wrong all along, that, that Flurry he is a great playoff goalie. He's a great playoff goalie this year, and what makes it such a great story is he was horrible in the playoffs a couple years ago. Mm. And, and that, that is absolutely – if they win the Cup – he probably is the, the Conn Smythe winner. Nashville, it's got to be Pecorino. It's got to yeah. be. Although, yeah. I would look, when I look at that series, or the, the last two series, I will say, I don't think he's had to work that hard. I really don't. I think they're, they've defended that well, where they've made it much easier for him. But he's, he's, yeah. he's got a 951 save percentage in the postseason But so you far. can't give the Conn Smythe the entire defensive course. So right, exactly. The goaltender there. I and mean, they're all contributing. Kind of, I mean, I think yeah. Ryan Ells leads them with nine points right now. But in only ten games. You know, I mean, it's... Everybody else plays so many more games in Nashville, sometimes those points get skewed. When right. But that would be the only other contender on that team, but you probably have to give it to Rene. Yeah, Ellis, though, probably. Ellis might actually get my vote. Best, he's best no, big I, I think best defenseman people don't know about. Mm-hmm. Is Nashville... Are we going to look back at the end of this and, and just be like, why, why weren't we paying... I mean, they've, we they've, did at the beginning of the season when we did. picked them to win the Central Division. Yeah. But even then now in, just the, in the playoffs, I mean, they're, they're steamrolling... Chicago and St. Louis so far. Like yeah. They're kind of the forgotten of these four teams. I, I'm, I'm picking them to win this series. So am I. As yeah. am I. Yeah. It's just funny because Josh just came on and he's a lot more close to both these teams and he picked Anaheim. But I, I still think Anaheim might be the better on-paper team right now, but I like what Nashville does. I, li- I, I think the point about the rest is yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah, they've got to play. I, I was tomorrow. surprised that they were playing tomorrow so and not Saturday. When the, when the, the when it came out during the game that the uh, the Eastern Conference Final was starting on Saturday, I went, "Wow, that's really a kick in the teeth for these two teams playing right now." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a nice boost for Pittsburgh. I guess they played last night too. So whoever played Friday was going to be in a rough spot. But Anaheim specifically, after mm-hmm. Nashville's already been rested up, so that's uh, and, and you know maybe that's enough to decide that series. Anything else? Do we want to talk about yeah. Tyson Berry and this weird story? Uh, is, is the, you, always, you always claim that we hate Ottawa. Yet we just did a prediction segment, and you didn't even bring up the Eastern Conference. Well, I mean, anything else in that series, and obviously I was going to transition over to Pittsburgh Ottawa. Sure you were. Pick Ottawa, Luke. I dare you. No, I've picked against Pittsburgh the first two rounds, so I'm okay. not doing that this time. But I do think Ottawa, and I've said this, and I picked Ottawa last time, and I believe I picked them in the first round, is better than people are giving them credit for. So Pittsburgh, how many games are they going to win? Pittsburgh in five. One? I still think it goes six, if not seven. I think Carlson's playing that well. I don't think it's going seven. I think Carlson's the reason why it's not being a sweep. It's not a sweep. Do you give anything to the fact, though, that, and Josh just said this too, I mean, a team coached by Guy Boucher is going to try and slow things down and clog up the middle of the ice. And, I think and Pittsburgh can play that game. Yeah. I think they can play that they've, game. They've played with Tampa in years past for a very similar style. I, yeah. I just, I, I and Tampa had better players to execute, in my opinion. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so just I'm not. I'm not once I, again, I, I, no love for Ottawa. No love no. for Ottawa. Penguins and a lot five, of love for Predators Pittsburgh. and seven. In you, lockstep. Well, you're already picking the Stanley Cup, too? Yep. Okay. That's, that's the cup final. Can you give us next year's cup final, too? Mm, I'd rather not. Okay. <laughs> Is this too disturbing to, to for us? If, Tampa Bay know, National? <laughs> want to, I want to wait to see what Chicago gives up to get Ovechkin on Tate's left wing. <laughs> oh, okay. I, yeah. 
All right. Yeah, if that's the case, please don't make that prediction for yeah. us. All right. This was fun, guys. Thanks to uh, – why is Jamie looking at me like that? I don't, I, I don't feel like Jamie had fun now. More. I don't know. Just, well, I, we can there's, – there's not really anything left. Six there or seven. A, which one? Pick, pick one. For Pittsburgh Ottawa? Yeah. Six is in Ottawa. I don't think I'll cares. go six. I'll go yeah, six. Who cares? No, I just I'm, I'm working through my process. I I think everybody overlooks Ottawa, and I don't think yes, it's they right. Are, I will continue to say they're the 2012 Ravens. Till I actually see them lift the cup, I will not believe that they're you, you an, actually a cup contender. Last week, even if they won the cup, you still wouldn't get. I, I probably wouldn't. I still don't. I still don't believe Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. I, I, have to come to terms with it. I'm with you on that. But they're, Baltimore they're, believes they've they had to pay him. Boston and the Rangers. So just it's not like the fit. So I said it would have been the equivalent of the fifth and the seventh seeds in the conference. But this is what's great about the NHL playoffs is that you don't ever know for sure. And when something looks certain, it goes the other way. I mean, nobody picked Nashville over Chicago. What would be a bigger upset, Ottawa over Pittsburgh in the third round or Nashville over Chicago? It would have been Ottawa. It's Ottawa over Pittsburgh. If you said it was Nashville sweeping Chicago, that would have been the bigger upset. Yeah, that's – you guys watching the NBA finals at all? Or playoffs? So is, it, is, Ca- is Cavs Warriors going how many games? Six yeah. or seven? I mean, the one and two seeds advancing in each conference. Boston's going to get Who saw that coming? Wait, spoiler alert. That hasn't officially happened yet. There's still yes, games it, to be played. I, oh, it's there? unofficially happened. What, unofficially happened back in November. Yeah. Why do, we, why do we have the first two rounds of the playoffs why, in the NBA? We might as well have the third round the way starting to sell Boston Charles and Barkley. San Antonio are playing. Can we get Barkley on to talk that, about that, the that NHL playoffs? That was quite a by the way. It's pretty fantastic. All right. We're, now we're just filibustering until next week. So for Craig Morgan, for Jamie Eisner, for Josh Cooper for joining us, thanks for that. I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.